I know we all have our preferences when it comes to um, our vacations and what we do and don't do when we head out of town and do that sort of thing. Our family tends to prefer quiet, uh, tends to prefer truly taking it easy, taking it quietly, and so oftentimes that then uh, leads, lends itself towards puzzles being brought out upon a table and just trying to see, you know, what can you get done over the course of a, of a few days. Now, in a rental house, if that's what you're doing in the course of your, your time on vacation, that can be rather interesting, doing a, doing a puzzle in a house that other folks have, over the course of maybe months or years, uh, been in as well, because you get to the end of the thing, and what inevitably happens, if you've ever had this experience, you find that there are some pieces that are missing. Which can be, at the very least, somewhat frustrating to the, the puzzle master uh, at that point. But it could be far worse. Ima imagine we're talking now not just a, a missing piece or two or three, but imagine the box top with the picture that's supposed to show you what this beastie is supposed to look like when you're done with it. Imagine that's missing. Well, now we're talking about a scenario that's not just frustrating, but frankly, it's pretty futile. Right? Even in trying to, to assemble that puzzle when you don't even know how all the pieces fit, fit together. My, my point in bringing that up is um, an inability to, to see the whole picture and an inability to see how the individual pieces fit within the larger framework of that whole picture is not just something that applies to you know, rental houses on vacation and puzzle pieces. Sadly, tragically, that same image is a metaphor for far too many folks around us, and maybe even some of us in this room. An inability to see the larger picture, and they're an inability to see how the individual components of our lives fit into that larger picture, which then lends itself not just to a sense of frustration, but frankly, if we're honest, a sense of futility as well. The, the, the hope that we have, to the degree that we will hear what the Scriptures say, is that it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't have to be that way at all. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. Uh, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 13 here for a few minutes together, and if you're not sure where to find the book of Acts, that's fine. Uh, I'll spare you having to, to look at your table of contents. You can go to the New Testament. That's, that's starters. So that's like the last third of the Bible. Uh, so you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, then you have the book of Acts. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're in Acts 13. Now, this is the fifth in a series of messages uh, that we have been doing over the last several weeks uh, on this theme of gospel-driven outreach. Okay, and some weeks ago, I believe it had to have been number one, uh, we were looking at the very basics of this series, uh, the essentials of, of the gospel and what that means and why it is from Romans 1 that we were impelled then to, to, to share this. Uh, then in, in week two, we were looking at who it is that sends us, who is this Jesus there from Revelation chapter 1. Uh, then we began to look at uh, who are we, who are we as we go in a, in a, in a fundamental uh necessary understanding of who we are. Then last week we were looking at who, who we're going in the midst of and, and the commonality that we all share together as fallen human beings. And now we're looking at something of what I'll just call the gospel story. Big picture, panoramic. This is your box top. Okay? The gospel story. 
this is Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13, reading on down through verse uh, 43. Uh, just so you know, this is the context. This is uh, Paul and Barnabas and his team, uh, their team together on what's referred to as the first missionary journey, as recorded for us uh, by Luke uh, here in what we refer to now today as the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 13, picking up in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went on into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave him Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, I know that was a long reading. We do need to stop, though, before we go any further and pray. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for this account. Uh, thank you for this in inspired account here, this historical account from Luke, and your having worked in and through him such that no more and no less than what you wanted to be written was in fact written, and, and now preserved all these many years, and wonder of wonders, here we are, here we are this morning, assembled in this place uh, to, to read these words, to, to ponder them. And we ask that you would do yet more. Uh, that as we ponder them, that indeed that you would give us understanding, a deep, mind, mindful, and heart-level understanding of these words. Not just the particulars here, but the grand panoramic, the, uh, the box top, so to speak. Help us to see how the pieces all fit together here just simply uh, as laid out for us in this sermon of Paul's so many years ago. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as no doubt some of you know, this, is, uh, this month, in fact, marks the 500th anniversary of what is referred to today as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the greats, the greats of those uh, reformers, uh, men such as Martin Luther and John Calvin, interestingly enough, uh, also themselves appealed back to and referred back to time and time again other men, their predecessors in the course of church history, men such as a guy that we know today as St. Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, uh, the, the Bishop of Hippo over there in northern Africa. And uh, Augustine's a much quoted guy, uh, rightfully so. He was a wise fella. Uh, one quote I want to read to you is very short. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you and then try to unpack it here if I can just... Quickly, and, and what Augustine's writing of here is, is the unity of the Scriptures. Uh, the, the idea that basically Old and New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, it really is one theme, one theme, one plot, one story. That's what Augustine said. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. All right, let me back up. I'm going to explain this and read it to you again. So, what he's, old, what he means by that is the Old Testament. New is what he's referring to there is the New Testament. Okay, so he's talking about, if you will, the differences, but the commonality, the, the unity of the two. So, let me read this to you again. The, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. It's a remarkable statement. He's absolutely dead on right. Absolutely dead on right. What he's saying is, is that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the very one that, that ultimately Paul is, is teaching and preaching on here in this sermon in Acts uh, 13, recorded for us here in Acts 13, Jesus is the goal of all of the biblical revelation. Jesus is, is the unity, the one that holds it all together. It's a startling, astounding statement when you consider the scope and the significance of, of what's being said uh, there, what's being conveyed there. That, that all the prophecies... Um, all the, that the, the priesthood, all that the sacrificial system was about, all, the, the tabernacle, the temple, the holy days, the ceremonies, all of it, 
all of the judicial laws that governed that nation that was preparing the way for the coming of this long-awaited Messiah, all of the, the great events that's recorded for us in the Old Testament, all of the key figures that we read about in the, in the Old Testament, it's all driving towards, it's all completed, it's all culminating, it's all fulfilled in this one Jesus. And Jesus himself was bold enough to say that about himself and was completely serious. And the early church was bold enough to say that about Jesus as well. And we have a, the record of it right here in Acts 13. Again, it's an astounding, astonishing statement to make. That If you think of it, the, the Old Testament is this record again and again and again of, of God's delivering his people, right? Time and time again, he is the story of this deliverance of his people. Also a story of his making these promises, of sending a king, Capital K, not just one in a string, but the king, the deliverer who would come one day to be the ultimate savior of his people. And then finally in the course of history, finally in, the, in the, the fullness of time, comes Jesus as the fulfillment of, of it all. It's an astonishing statement, an astonishing, a bold thing to consider. That's the plot line, though, of the Bible. That's what we could call the gospel story. That's what we could call the, the gospel story. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's, it, what we're saying here is that Jesus, the grandeur and greatness of Jesus' person and work is such that a multi-volume set of books, and there's been more written about him than anybody else in history, can't capture him. That you can have all the Netflix documentaries you want and the History Channel and everybody else and it's never going to come close to capturing and fully describing him. He, the grandeur and greatness of Jesus, his person and work is such that, that even the history of Israel and the heritage of that people over the course of centuries but foreshadows and points the way towards him. And it takes that just to foreshadow and point the way towards him. This is the person of persons in the flow of human history, or all of history, really. Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at here, and he's just unpacking before us here in Acts 13, this gospel story. He's telling us, look, the Lord has revealed to us this gospel story. And as we think about what that means in terms of our witness, that not only informs our witness, but it has to transform our witness too, recognizing the greatness and grandeur of who it is we're speaking of and what it is we're speaking of in this gospel story. God in His grace has revealed that to us that has to inform and transform our witness of Him. Now, there are a lot of different ways we could go with this. We could spend all afternoon in terms of talking about the implications of, you know, what does that mean in terms of how it informs and transforms our, our witness to him, given who he is and the, the, the wonder of this, this story. And I will tell you, I've preached on this text a, a time or two and come at it from a completely different angle. And I'm, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, there's so much here. I mean, 
what I'm endeavoring to do over the next few minutes is to preach a sermon on a sermon. Me, this little cricket. It is, I'm a, we're about to move into a, a sermon on a sermon of the Apostle Paul there in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. There's so much we could look at here. But really, for time's sake, we're going to look at three things, three different ways that this, this, transform, this informs and transforms our gospel witness. So first would be a, the, the coherence that gives to life. Secondly, the invitation to join and thirdly, an assurance to hold. Now, if you like alliterations, you like abbreviations, you may note this, CIA. Okay, Coherence to life, sorry, um, it's what we preachers do. Coherence to life, an invitation to join, and an assurance to hold. Okay, Th Those three things. Let's take these in turn. So first, a coherence to life. And by that, what I mean is just simply the bare fact that there is a story just simply the bare fact that there actually is a box top to look at, that there is a unifying picture, has tremendous implications. Just the simple fact of that is huge. Now, I've got four sub-points here. Those of you who have been a part of the college and careers class, if you're paying attention a few weeks ago, you may recognize. This is the, the points of our discussion some weeks ago. But anyway, the rest of you, it's new to you, so here we go. Human value. The fact of this gospel story establishes human value. We ask the question, understandably, do I have any worth? Do I have any value? Am I just a product of chance, random events? And therein is my only hope of worth and value in this life? Significance? To be perhaps in my relationships and my accomplishments and my tribe and my heritage and all of that? Is that where I get my worth? and my value and significance? And the answer is no. Your worth, your value, because of the gospel story, is established simply in this, in who made you. If you're just a pencil sketch by Picasso, you're a priceless masterpiece. Right? That's all it takes, is who the creator, who the author, the artist is. You are, we are. His masterpieces, and therein that's our value. Immediately, immediately, that's a stamp of, of, of our worth and, and significance. Inestimable. Human value. Also, purpose. Do we have, is, do we have any direction? Any, any guidance? Any, any, any reason for, for, for being? Um, is there more than just getting up in the morning and going to work, right? So that the next day I can get up in the morning and go to work so that the next morning I can get up in the morning and go to work. Is it more than just the hamster wheel? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. This gospel story shows us that, just the fact of it, shows that we were made for relationship with the true and living God, made for flourishing, a life lived before Him in service and trust to Him. So much more I could say there. i just got to press on. So value, purpose... Basis for ethics? This gospel story answers this question too. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? What is it? How do we know? Who decides? Is it just according to power? You know, might makes right. Is it according to power? Is it according to pragmatics? Is it according just to my preference? And I get to say. Or is it more? And this story, the fact of this story tells us, no, actually, we live in a moral universe that is governed by 
the abiding eternal character of its creator. And therein the standards don't change. That's really good to know. That's really good to know. Uh, so we have value, we have purpose, we have grounds, a basis for ethics. One last thing, a hope for love. Even a possibility of love. You know, if, if we're just a chance, we're just a product of chance and, and matter and motion and all of that, then forget love. It's just chemicals in your brain. Whatever you feel towards your child, whatever you feel towards your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your friends, it's just chemicals. But if there's more, and if this gospel story is in fact true, which it is, it gives hope for love. It, it gives a shape to it. It tells us that love is more than just a contract of convenience. It, it, it enables me to actually be able to know, and you to actually be able to know, us together to know what it looks like and, and how it's possible, how it's actually possible to care for the hard to care for. Because in Jesus, and a lot of us are hard to care for, right, if we're honest. Jesus tells us, shows us what love is. Jesus tells us, shows us what love demands. Jesus in his person is the pattern of love. Jesus in his work is the power of love. Far beyond just chemicals, there's a hope for love, the longing, the deep longing of every human heart. So much more. Oh, I, I feel like I'm just flying so fast, these huge, huge things. But I'm just trying to just... If nothing else, tease you, not in a facetious sort of way, but just awaken us to the reality that the fact of this story, the objective reality of in space and in time, what Paul is talking about here is real, means that those four things, value, purpose, ethics, and love, are in fact possible and significant. And there's a reason that your heart resonates towards those things because of the reality of what Paul is speaking of here. There's a coherence. That's what I said earlier. There's a coherence then. A coherence to life. And without this, we just have to be honest and say we, are doing, we have nothing left. Without this, we have nothing left but just to say, just to be honest. We just, we're just bumping into the shadows. That's all we've got left. Is life bumping into the shadows? What does this have to do with outreach? Well, that's a good question. Here's your answer. Everything. It has absolutely everything to, to do with outreach. For, for starters, the reality of these things gives grounding for our own lives. Right? But in addition to that, it allows for a bridge of conversation and dialogue with the people around us. It's not that hard to go there on these topics. It's not that hard at all to just over coffee, at the water cooler, over the backyard fence, at the, 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 the propane grill, just to launch into a question along the lines of, you know, when it comes to something, something is teasing up on the topic of human value, and, and worth, and significance, and purpose, and ethics, and its basis, and debates. 
and the possibility and the hope for love, and just to tease the question out there and say, have you ever thought about why that's such a big deal? Have you ever thought about why it is that's so significant to us and, and what the answer is? And just go there. Just go there and explore that together. This gospel story has been revealed to us. As we grapple with this, that gives us a coherence to life that we need to reckon with. Okay, that pushes us into the second point. So not just the, the mere fact that there is a story, but now we're moving into what the plot of the story is. Does that make sense of the distinction between that? Just the, the, the fact of the story, that there is one, that there is a box top, now we're looking at what the image actually is, what we're seeing there, as conveyed in, in the summary that you see here in Acts 13. And again, I'm not delving into the details okay? Uh, th this morning. It's a little unusual. We're flying at 10,000 feet, just kind of flying over, big picture here. Um, but uh, as far as uh, the, the plot line, there's so much more here. Speaking in, things that, in terms of what we're inviting people towards, uh, and what we've been invited towards is so much more here than we usually think about. I want to start with just a, what's, what I'll call a partial telling. A partial telling of the story, which is often as, as far as we go. So I'm starting with where we stop. Okay? And the partial telling goes something like this. The emphasis is on the individual's need for the forgiveness of their sins... Uh, and their personal eternal destiny. Therein, the greatest need is that of the soul and the spirit. Therein, an the, the impulse towards evangelism. Now, I'm going to stop here, full stop. Don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. All that's true. Every last bit of it. Okay? I'm raising the concern. I'm raising the issue as to the fact that we, we, we stop there. We, we stop there, because that's a partial telling of the gospel. That's a partial telling of the good news. Paul speaks to that in Acts 13, but in the course of a much larger context in, in this sermon. Because we also, okay, so, so where, what else do we, do we need to say? If we're going to tell the story and tell it full, uh, what do we need then to, to speak of? Well, I would say things such as, Oh, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A concern for the whole person, not just the soul, but the body, the mind, every part of the human person that is impacted and, and disrupted by the fall. Not just evangelism, but considering the, 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 the full need that we have. The, the, the fullness of the way we need to, to move out and considering all the disruptions caused by the fall, which then takes me to, well, what then would be the fuller telling of this good news? It's a very simple outline. Let me start with the, where we start. Creation. Creation. Start at the beginning of the beginning. This is a personal universe that we live in, made by a, a person and, and crafted, shaped by a personal God. There was a time, it's hard for us to imagine this, we have, we have you know, but the record of the scriptures to go on here, and, and that's enough. But there was a time when this world was good. I mean, like, not just like, 
kind of, but truly, deeply good. That everything resonated with the love of God. When everything pulsated with his peace, the old Hebrew word, shalom, that sense of rightness and fittedness and appropriateness and goodness in the deepest sense of the word. Creation. Fall. Something went wrong. See, where do we need to begin with our message? Where does the Bible begin with the message, right? Genesis. Not three, one and two. There was a time when all was good. Something went wrong. Humanity turned its back on its creator. We thought that we could live independently from him. And with that came the virus into the hard drive. Everything is gummed up. Everything. Nothing immune. Nothing isolated. No firewall. Sorry. Um, if you've wondered, ever wondered, where on earth does all the disease and emptiness and broken relationships and poverty and injustice and racism that we see around us and, and fractures and, 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 and disrupts every aspect of human society and our own personal lives today, that's it. Trace it back to the fall. That's where it begins. Genesis, the start. All things good. Creation. Fall. Redemption. God could have left us there. And by all, by all rights, had rights to do so. Or just wipe us out. But chose not to do so. Chose to, at great cost to himself, and wonder of wonders, to enter into this world. Come as one of us for us. As in the person of Jesus Christ. In the life, his life, his death, his resurrection, to make all things new. And with that comes an invitation. In that begins the, the revolution and the invitation to join that. A holy insurrection. Not by might or, or armed power and strength, but through love and truth. I'm flying through some stuff here. I know, some of you may be dizzy at this point. I feel dizzy at this point. Could be getting over a cold, but I think it's just we're moving so fast. Um... But the, the point being, this gospel story is, is so huge. But there's also comes with it an invitation to something so much greater than ourselves. Not just the partial telling, but the full telling. The full telling of what Jesus has in mind to make all things, all things new. An invitation to join and, and to be a part of something so much more than ourselves. Okay, I'm going to go out here and, and go on a limb. So no doubt, no few of you know that a, a, a Star Wars trailer hit this past week, right? And it blew up the internet. And uh, that's for the, the movie that's coming up in, in December. Um, think back with me, though, way back, 1977, what we now call Episode 4. Oh, my goodness. But, you know... Way on, it used to just be Star Wars. That's episode four, new, The New Hope, or A New Hope. Imagine the scene. John Williams' soundtrack is soaring. Luke Skywalker is standing there, looking out 
out on that Tatooine horizon at that binary sunset, um, wishing, wondering, longing. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. What's that have to do with outreach? What does that have to do with outreach? Believe it or not, it has everything to do with outreach. You know why? Because we're all looking out on the horizon. Wondering, is this it? Is this it? Is there not more? Am I not made for more? And the answer is yes. Every single man, woman, and child, the answer is as astounding and reverberating, yes, as you look out in that horizon. Which means as we go out proclaiming with the, the, this, this message, witnessing to this gospel story, we are not creating a thing. We are not ginning up or, or, or creating, crafting a longing. We are simply tapping into something that's already there and showing what it's, how it's meant to be answered and what we've been made for. This gospel story has been revealed to us comes with it, brings with it an invitation. Lastly, lastly, as we go forth, there's also one last thing, and that's the assurance. It's the third point. So you've got your C, you've got your I, you've got your A. The, the, the coherence to life, the invitation to join, and lastly, an assurance to hold. This is the shortest point uh, of, the, of the three by far. Um, so you, I'm not speaking here about so much the, the bare existence, the bare fact of a plan, or, or, or the story, excuse me, or the, or the plot of the story. Now we're just dealing with the fact, just the character and the work of the author of the story himself, which is also here in Acts 13, as you, as you read it, and it's very clear here. All of this is by God's initiative. Every bit of it. You read through the stages of Israel's history that Paul is relaying here, going back to the patriarchs and, and, and moving forward into the time of, of the Exodus and the Judges and the monarchy and on through the rest of Old Testament history and, and how those prophets, the prophecies are fulfilled on and, you know, with, the, with John the Baptist and the arrival of Jesus. And there's so much here spent talking about the, 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 the Jesus' life and ministry, his death and, and resurrection. All of that and every bit of it, Israel's place and role is but as a beneficiary. Just receiving, not initiating a thing. How can they? How can we? It's, it's God's initiative. You look back through here, basically, the subject of all the significant verbs is God. Again and again and again and again, all, all through this. Because it's His plan, His initiative. His plan, his, his work, all grounded in what? This is the second sub-point. His promises. His promises uh, going all the way back, and it's alluded to here in Acts 13, a promise made to Abraham. But frankly, those, the, the rootedness of even that promise, that stage goes back to a promise made to Adam right after the fall in the garden. And actually, if you peel it back even beyond that, a promise within the eternal counsel of the triune God to save a people, to send a Savior, the fulfillment, the culmination, all of this that Paul is writing of here in, in Acts 13. So that therein, given who it is that's making this promise 
establishes, it gives the sure certainty that the promise will be fulfilled. Because what he says he's going to do, he is in fact going to do. It was never based, Israel, the people are, as well, certainty and hope is never established upon our performance, but upon his faithfulness. Always, that's the case. Never our performance, always his faithfulness. That's the gospel story. Giving us grounds for assurance. Giving us hope. Because when you think about it, if he has gone to such lengths, right, in the unfolding of this plan, over the course of these stages, over the course of centuries, if he has gone to such lengths to love us so well, how can we then not believe he will not love us now? Having loved us so well all along, is he just going to cut us loose now? Absolutely not. What does that have to do with outreach? Again, it has everything to do with outreach. Because the very same God that we're reading of here in Acts 13, and the, the very same gospel, the very same plan, the story that, that Paul is relaying to us here, uh, driven and grounded in the same promises, the same faithfulness of, of the same God, well, he's proven himself. He's shown himself. He can be relied upon. He can be counted on, not just for ourselves, but for those that we are testifying to, bearing witness to, knowing that in time, in the best way, somehow he will bring things to bear as only he can in the best, wisest, truest way possible. Again, the assurance. He's loved us so well thus far. We have the assurance of knowing he will love us all the way home. This gospel story, the fact of it, the plot of it, the author of it, again, as I said earlier, informs and transforms. It has to, as we're hearing it. informs and transforms our witness. Jesus, as we're hearing Paul saying here, is the focus of these promises. He's the, the purpose of all of history. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the one and only Savior, the King. Ours then... As Christians, the calling of the Christian then is but to be a herald of the King. Now think, think with me, if, if you can imagine, you know, if you go back to your his, history studies or maybe a movie that you've seen, um, medieval Europe, right? And, and maybe a small town. The town crier. You hear this voice, right, from somewhere around a corner. You hear this voice, and you see all the people flocking towards the square. And you go, and you see it's the town cry, this royal emissary with this message, this, this, this messenger from the courts itself, from the king himself. Uh, it, it, this message is not originated in him. He or she does not create this message. They but relay and convey it. That's, that's, that's all that they are to do, is not to create a thing, but just to relay and convey what they've been told to relay and to convey. Um, no authority in and of themselves. But all authority, given who it is that sent them. So it's this beautiful paradox, a tension between the humility and the confidence at the same time. That's our role as heralds. 
to go into the town square, to go into the marketplace, to go into the classroom, to go into the neighborhoods with this message. And maybe it goes something like this. You might want to tweak it, but hear ye, hear ye. The king has come as us for us. The king died, but is alive again. He has risen and he reigns and rules. Long live the king. That's the message. And we're to herald that message in every avenue, in every square. Let's pray together. Lord, it is so evident here as we look at the sweeping nature, uh, the, uh, the greatness, the grandeur of this gospel story, that this can't just be a Sunday thing. You are giving here an account, an explanation for all of life. Everything, every subject is touched and transformed. Every person needs to hear this. Made for this. We're all, every one of us, and everyone that we would meet is looking out upon that horizon. We thank you for the privilege of having some time to explore this and think about it and ponder it. We thank you for the the opportunity to be reminded of, of this and the significance of this. Be refreshed in this, and may that be. We thank you for the privilege this morning of this gospel story. But Lord, with that we know comes a responsibility. And we ask you to help us to bear that well, to be the heralds that you have made us to be, to go forth with our lips and our lives, proclaiming the good news of the coming of the King. Whatever that means for this season of life that we're in, whatever it means, whatever it means, whatever our calling, whatever our station, make us courageous enough, glad enough, expected enough, assured enough to explore this together. In your name we pray. Amen.